So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media? Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships Collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash mission log. Welcome into another exciting episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. Uh, that, that is not, wait, that's not how we normally do the opening of the show. Uh, uh, Who are you? What have you done with Ken? Uh, here's what I told a friend of mine. I left it all on the floor, the stages, and the bars of Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Ken. Where have you been for the last week, and what happened to you. I have been at uh, Star Trek uh, Las Vegas 20, uh, 25, no, fi- uh, 50. I've been to the 50th. Don't ask me, dude. It's been. Uh, we were at STLV 50, uh, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Uh, I actually did the least Star Trek stuff uh, this trip that I've ever yeah. done before. Because usually, you and me, we got like one panel, we got a mm-hmm. table. And then, you know, so that, that affords us time to maybe go see somebody we haven't seen before, things like that. Um, we right. had five panels this year. We had a panel for every day, if you're keeping count. A, a panel for every day, which I don't, think, I don't think Frakes did that kind of work. No, no, he didn't. Yeah, no. And on top of that, we were at the table, meeting and greeting, hanging out with people all, right. all day long. I actually, you know, this is the first year that I really didn't see anything. I, I, I didn't even walk the vendor floor. Uh, I, I stepped into the main stage uh to see the women's panel, okay. and and that was it. Well, no, wait a minute. That now. was it. Yeah, because we trade here. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. say you didn't see anything, but you did see the women's panel. I, I did get to step into that. Yeah, because yeah. I saw two minutes of Whoopi Goldberg. Okay. Okay. Well, and that's know, it. But I didn't get to walk the vendor floor. Terms. Yeah. Yeah. Did you buy anything? Uh, I bought a keychain. Okay. <laughs> All <laughs> I, right. Actually, I bought a keychain and I bought a Horgon sticker. Did I not mm. show you that? Yeah, I saw the Horgon. Yeah. You, oh, I, oh, you saw my Horgon. Yeah, I, I sure did. I, I didn't see the keychain, though. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a Command Delta, like something Kirk would wear. I've got Jack Skellington on my keychain, and I saw the mm-hmm. you know Command Delta keychain. I thought, well, really, that makes more sense, doesn't it? Right, right. So there you go. Now, so, in the business, Ken, this is what we call vamping. Is it? It I, is. To me, it it's is. just it, like you know talking about one of the coolest things that's ever happened, despite the fact that it's left me like a... Just a just a wretched pile of scum and well, not villainy, but no, no, no. Uh, you don't sound well. I, I feel great though. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. But oh, not, oh, not physically. Suffice to say that because you're not feeling great, and and fortuitously, we've got five panels worth of audio, two of which we're going to release as episodes, as supplemental episodes here. So today. It'll be the top 10 TOS countdown, which, as I explained, is not a top 10 TOS <laughs> countdown. And that is very as, important for people to understand. And as I explained, is much more than 10. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like 16, 18. We Easily. just keep going. Yeah. yeah. We, it, as long as we can name an episode, we'll just put it in there. And and, um, and, and, and we don't cross the timeline. So, of course, you know we do. Right. <laughs> right. It, it's an episode of Mission Log, just different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then next week, it'll be the uh, panel that we did on the creation stage. It'll be the Gene Roddenberry versus Star Trek panel, where we had uh, audience questions as well. And we had Rod Roddenberry as our guest. So that's what's coming up on Mission Log. And then when everybody is, uh, you know, tan and rested and ready, come back to our regularly scheduled Mission Log. Yeah, then we'll get our game on. Oh, oh, I see what you did there. Boom. Good job. Right. All right. So. Even sick. I'm still there with like the uh, terrible joke. All right. So coming <laughs> up today, it is our top 10 TOS countdown. But before we get into that audio, we have to let our, our listeners know that it is with great pleasure. We welcome back the Star Trek Starships collection as our sponsor this week. Um, as I've mentioned before, you know, the cool thing to me is that CBS actively reviews and approves all of these uh uh, uh, well, I mean, I hesitate to call them toys. They're models. They're beautifully rendered models um, made out of uh, a metallic resin. So they've got a little more weight to them than maybe they first look like. Because you see it and you go, oh, okay, it's about a four inch long model spaceship. And then you pick it up and then you're like, oh, hey, th- this is not just some cheap thing I would pick up in a toy store. Yeah, no, they've got some heft. They remind me, actually, the, about the only thing I can liken them to is do you remember micro machines? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to say they put out some Star Wars. Maybe they weren't quite micro machines, but I had one snow speeder years yeah. ago that that was really it was it was diecast metal. It was like yeah. it was like a matchbox but bigger. The, these are like that. I haven't seen toys of that quality. So I guess what I'm saying is I haven't seen toys or collectibles of this quality since like the '80s, I suppose, the early to mid '80s. Right. I mean, I mean, they were also accessible. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. there. I mean, there's a guy who walks around Star Trek Las Vegas with a gigantic uh, Enterprise model. But you're looking at hundreds of dollars there, and it's not yeah. the kind of thing that you would just you know take out and handle, which sounds dirty. But right. these ships, <laughs> these ships um, actually are. I mean, we've talked, we've joked before about chasing each other around with them, which of course we've never done. But <laughs> I mean, they, they've got heft, uh, they've got durability, um, yeah. but they really are just stunningly detailed. Every time I look at them, I notice new little details. Yeah. You know, it, whether it's the hull plating or the the paint patterns on these are absolutely beautiful. That's the thing that really struck me when I was able to see a prototype. And to me, it looked beautiful. I was like, oh, wow, hey, it's the Antares. I I recognize it right away. And then the person at CBS says, well, no, here are all the things that we have to change to make it fit our standard. And I said, oh, okay, you're taking this seriously. (laughs) That's nice. We also talked to a lot of people in, uh, in, uh, in Vegas who loved it. Mm-hmm. I mean, who have their own collections, including one guy who showed us that he has, what did he say? He has, he's got a lease on his dining room table until Christmas. <laughs> right. Because right. almost his entire dining room table is covered with these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is not a testament to, so see, you need 800 starships. It's more, I mean, you know, there are some people, <laughs> especially, who just like have absolutely fallen in love with them and want the whole collection. And the one difficulty there is there's no such thing as a whole collection at this point because they just keep making them. Yeah. Yeah. And not only do they keep making the Starship collection, but they make bonuses as well. And yeah. I love that, that the longer you're with the collection, the more cool bonus products you get, like the dedication plaque on the Enterprise. I, I think that's really the one that we're all after because you want that 
grab that in the mail, hang it on your wall, and it's just too cool looking. So John says the longer you're with the collection, that's the kind of thing you get. Of course, the way to start your collection is with the USS Enterprise 1701D. And you can start that for only seven, uh, excuse me, $4.95, and that includes free shipping. Yeah, yeah. Ken, you just saved everybody three bucks. Right. I, I did that right there. Exactly. <laughs> right. Check with me again. I may get it down to a dollar. Probably not. Let's say it's going to be four ninety five. Yeah, four ninety five. That's my that's that's my bottom that's my bottom floor there. That's it. Okay, and that is free shipping, as you said, for the seventeen oh one D, and then you get a new model two times a month delivered directly to your door. You don't have to do anything. You just open up the mailbox and hey. I got starships. Uh, So you may cancel your subscription at any time, but honestly, why would you? So for more details and then to get the entire collection, go to st-starships.com slash mission log. You want to let them know that you heard about them from us. So again, that's st-starships.com slash mission log. Live from the Roddenberry Interactive Stage and Lounge, this is a special edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week... Each week on Mission Log, we pick apart a single episode of Star Trek, hunting down the morals, meanings, and messages within the show, and trying to figure out if the whole thing stands the test of time. And that is not what we're doing today. Uh, this is not a best of list. This is not a countdown list. What we've done is we've actually taken... It's been a while since we've watched TOS. Because yeah. well, two years ago, I guess, we yeah. started on uh, the movies and the next gen and all that. So what we decided to do is take ten episodes that we consider essential for some reason. And in true Mission Log fashion, that means we're only going to talk about 14 to 16 episodes. Yeah. Because <laughs> exactly. that's kind of us. That's yeah. good, Yeah. Yeah, we, we never, I, I think when we started the show, we, at the end of every show, if you've heard it, we always ask, does the episode hold up? And that was our way of not saying, is it good or is it bad? Right. We never wanted to do that because we're starting with the premise that we really like Star Trek and we're really interested in what it has to say. So doing, uh, doing a countdown, like you said, it wouldn't feel right. But, but... I mean, we do have a favorite. Well, we do have favorites. Right. And what we tried to do here is figure out which episode spoke to the morals, meanings, and messages that we got excited about. So oh. that, that was our criteria. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm yeah. sorry. So shall we go ahead with the first slide, then? Why not, yeah. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and show you our, our first five selections. Not the top five, but the five. Yeah. Right. Right. They're in reverse, not, not order, countdown order of right. not a countdown. Yeah. Yes. So we're, we're starting where it started, which is with the cage. And some people asked us, should we even do the cage? Because it never actually aired or didn't air for a very long time. It aired in 1988, I think, finally. I think it was yeah, during the but okay. second season writer strike of Next Gen. Oh, okay. Was when it finally aired on TV. But a lot of people had seen it before that, right? Because Gene Roddenberry would take those 16 millimeter films and show the cage when he would do uh, the college lecture tour. You actually saw it in black and white on one of those tours. I did. Tours, I saw it in you? black and white at the University of Alabama in Birmingham in about 1980. 
three. Wow. I want to say it was around then because the burning question at the time was whether or not Spock would come back. Oh, right. Yeah. Because that had happened. Because that had happened. Yeah. Guess what? He came back. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah. Oh, so. if you haven't seen it, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And then he came back again. Yeah. And then he was 50 <laughs> it, feet tall. It, it, it just wouldn't go like, away. It's, it's insane yeah. how much Spock you get. <laughs> All right, so I wanted to start with the cage for a couple of reasons. First of all, it gave us a new look at space that we hadn't really had before. One of my favorite parts about the cage is we start... Pike has had his rear end handed to him. I mean, normally what we had was like Rocky Jones Space Ranger or things like that where they might be in trouble, but they're never really in trouble, and they might get punched, and maybe they get a little tussled up, but they're always, like, they're always okay. And we meet our captain getting ready to hang it up. And, and talking over with this friend about maybe I could go do this, maybe I could go do that. How bad was it? He thought about being a slave trader. That's how bad it became. <laughs> but it's kind of a neat thing, right? Because space is just going to be this thing in the future. You're going to be there. I mean, because at the time, we're still trying to get to the moon. We're still watching astronauts go into space and, and like, you know, with rapt attention. And then we get this look at the, at the future that is like, this future is going to be so amazing, it gets dull. You have a guy who is flying through space, and he's like, again? Which to me is absolutely an amazing thing to say, because you're saying so much about the future at that point, when you can say everything that you can't even dream of right now is just going to be like de rigueur after a while. And that's uh, that's kind of a mind-blowing thing. Way to drop some French on the audience, Ken. Merci beaucoup, monsieur. (laughs) Um, I agree with everything that you say about the cage. Has everybody here, or let me see a show of hands, uh, everybody who has seen Star Trek Beyond? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. Well, right, right, right. Well, that's fantastic. There's that scene in Star Trek Beyond where Bones was pouring a drink for Kirk, and they have this heart-to-heart, and Kirk is at the same emotional place that Pike was at the beginning of the cage, and I love that nod to that scene. Because it's wonderful. It, it is. It's a great, great scene, and it does something that Star Trek does every now and then, sometimes with more success than others, where space just feels real. And it feels like, you know, we always talk about um, uh, a character like Gary Mitchell. Yeah. The, the great thing about Gary Lockwood in Where No Man Has Gone Before is that he feels like he belongs there, like he's completely grounded on the Enterprise. And you don't expect him to have been anywhere else. It's completely and utterly natural. Yeah. Um, and that's what I love about that, uh, the, that opening sequence of Star Trek Beyond, that we get the day-to-day. And that's a lovely nod back to the cage with that one scene. It has such heart to it. Also, they may or may not say whether there's a heaven and hell. Okay, uh, Devil oh, in the Dark. Yeah, okay, there was that. Yeah, yeah, Devil in the Dark. Devil in the Dark. All right, so I put Devil in the Dark on the list. Um, I know that there's somebody in the audience who counts that as a favorite episode. Uh, that guy, our executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Oh, wow. I'm not kissing up by putting this on the list. <laughs> uh, Devil in the Dark does something that is... A through line throughout Star Trek. And and this is sort of a a quintessential episode because it introduces a concept that is played out over and over and over again. We just reviewed the episode uh, Silicon Avatar in The Next Generation. 20 plus years later, and that episode so perfectly mirrors what happened in The Devil in the Dark. Different outcomes, sadly. But it it gives this idea that space is there for us to explore. The natural world is there for us to understand. And those things that we may not understand 
aren't necessarily evil. They're not out to get us. They're things that we can actually come to an understanding with. And there's a really beautiful message there that um, I, I think we'll, we'll refer to it again when we get to the top of our list um, that I think really is, it, it's one of those things that Star Trek so perfectly encapsulates and reminds us of over and over again. So, um, yeah, Devil in the Dark. I, not really much else to say about that. I think that is the message of that episode. Yes. Other than that mining is really hard. Other, well, I was going to say it introduces us to the scourge of the 23rd century, which is miners. The miner. Yeah, yeah. the miners uh, are yeah. everywhere. Yeah. We haven't even abandoned our mining places yet. We get to that in the... Uh, is there another series after original series? Not that I'm aware of. We call it the original series, so there must be. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Maybe the animated series. Oh, could be, yeah. All right. <laughs> A mock time. Yeah. Why did we choose Why? a mock time? Why did we choose a mock time? Choose let's, a mock let's, time. Let's, let's figure this out. Well, I actually love the yeah. fact that, I mean, it was the first one that we recorded. Lots of people got really upset when we replayed it as not exactly a rerun, but something later. But it was the oh. very first time that he and I yes. had talked about Star Trek, other than, yeah, I like Star Trek, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, it was always kind of interesting. The, the things that we keep secret, the things that we don't talk about, nearly ended up ruining them, which is kind of weird, because even though pun far is like a, you know, a thing and a joke and all that stuff, it doesn't really feel like that tends to be the issue that people come away from it at. Yeah. But I was having a conversation here last night with somebody who was like, oh, wow, am I really going to say this out loud here? Why don't we talk about masturbation? Sorry, not you and me. Why don't we talk about <laughs> sex? Why don't we talk about sex, generally speaking? And here, one of the linchpins of this episode is the fact that they have this totally secret thing that they're like, no, no, no we don't tell anybody. We don't talk to anybody. That's fine. But every seven years, I may crash your ship for you. Yeah. Based on that. Which that's is an kind interesting of a, thing, though, interesting that, that thing. Vulcan's totally logical. Yeah. Totally embarrassed. <laughs> you know? Like, the embarrassment true. outweighs the logic. That's yeah. true. Yeah. There was also kind of an interesting thing about, we joked about it on the series, where Kirk obviously didn't know everything that went into the fight, right? So at the end of the fight, he's supposed to die. And of course he doesn't, but then John actually joked about, boy, it's lucky they don't actually do something ritually the second the corpse is down. Like, <laughs> let's take off his head and put it on a spike like we always do, and, you know, it'll all be... Vacuum desiccation. Which I didn't realize, yeah. even though we don't talk about the Prime Directive that early, I mean, it's sort of like a Prime Directive thing. Like, you really have no idea what you're getting into. Just yeah. Throw yourself right in the middle of that without actually researching it, which is kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. I don't remember if we actually talked about it during the show, though. I just thought about it earlier today. Yeah, so we'll have to go back and re-record that one I again. I guess so. We will. Four years later. Yeah. Was there anything else on that one, sir? Uh, I don't think so. It's one of the few times... You know, Star Trek has had this weird relationship with sexuality, trying to push the envelope, uh, but then having to kind of walk it back sometimes, I feel. And that episode wasn't necessarily about sexuality, but it certainly was about Spock's sexuality and how, like you said, this is probably not a good thing that we keep it entirely secret. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it really was not a show about that, except mm -hmm. that all of the action of the show actually hinges on that. Totally revolves had, around Had that, anybody yeah. mentioned that that might happen before, they could have taken care of everything. Instead, right. it was... Yeah, it got kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, moving on. So my next pick is A Taste of Armageddon. Um, I think that, yeah, we have a, some NER fans out there, yeah. So A Taste of Armageddon has a lot to say. And I think it's one of the first and best examples of Star Trek. Ken, as you put it so well, not saying that war is bad, but saying that war is stupid. That it is just a sort of endless cycle 
of fighting for the sake of fighting, not even remembering what the ideological or political reason was that drove him to that in the first place. So well, they also made it cheap. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. You, and you know your number's up. You go and you do this thing. There's no... Yeah. I think Kirk actually made that point in the end, didn't it? Didn't either. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be difficult. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so they have to go back to doing it that way. And so yeah. hopefully they won't actually fight once that becomes... Exactly. Thing. If it was ugly, then they wouldn't want to do it. Right. Yeah, hopefully. Um, it's the episode that gives us that great little monologue at the end with Kirk saying that he is a killer, he is a barbarian, but he chooses not to be that person which is a fantastic and consistent Star Trek message throughout all of the series. Uh, so I love that about it. We had a listener write in not that long ago, you know, here four years after we talked about that, who said, wouldn't it have been interesting that at the end, rather than the other planet being full of people who are just as scared and, and just as fed up with this constant cycle of war, if those people were long gone and it was just the computer running that simulation over and over again... And I thought, what another great layer to add to the idea of that story. You know, bad enough to let our computers do the fighting and we lose touch with the actual human cost. But what if they had taken it that extra step and that it was just completely run by the machines? Um, so, yeah, I think that's really all I have to say about that. Star Trek touches on war, it touches on humanity, but it touches on that, that admission of what we are and who we are as people and that we should and we could overcome that. If I can pause just for a second, we may want to get another mic because I would love to, if we finish early, which is starting to feel like we might. Yeah, why not? I would love it if if some of you guys brought up some of your own as well, so we'll try to ask them if they can have a mic someplace where people can tell us yours too. Or if you want to argue with us about any of them. (laughs) That's one of our favorite things. Ken at Roddenberry.com. Yes, where you would uh, send those. Yeah. Because I read all my email. <laughs> Balance of Terror. I love this. Yeah. What's fascinating to me about this episode is um, we're in the middle of the Cold War at this point, or near the beginning of it, I guess. Were we at the middle? I don't know, timeline-wise, but... Middle-ish, yeah. What's really interesting is, so, so the Romulans are evil, and we know the Romulans are evil because there's always been this... There was this war a long time ago, and we haven't seen them, and we don't know, and, you know, all this stuff. And then we end up studying the Romulan commander the same way that we're studying Kirk. And it felt to me, anyway, like one of the messages in this is whether you are the good guy or the enemy just basically depends on which side of a line you were born on. And if you can sort of come to that idea, I guess there's a little bit of that in Hunt for October, too, and oh, other yeah. submarine movies, oh, of course. Yeah. But um, if you can just sort of come to that idea, then maybe you, you, you sort of more humanize the person that you think of as your enemy. That gets so weird, though, because, I mean, well, anyway. Well, it, it's funny, though. You know, when we first started talking about that episode, I think of it as the submarine warfare episode, but I think of it the episode that says don't be racist. Like, that's the message hidden in that subware, uh, submarine warfare episode because we see the Romulan commander and we see the reaction to Spock looking just like that guy. Yeah. Oddly looks like his father. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and we know as soon as Kirk says, you know, take, your prejudice does not belong on the bridge, we're hammering right away at what the message is for at least that moment. Um, but I do like this bigger picture of, uh, uh, of the Cold War and really just saying, like, we're people on either side, still people no matter what. Right. 
it's like the the first video for the Sting song Russians. Yeah, yeah. just like that. Kind of like that. <laughs> All right. So what's the next one? Uh, so the next slide is honorable mentions. So we had some episodes that we felt like had maybe some different categories here. And I had to start it off with the Omega Glory. Because if you heard our episode of that, I just thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. Um, but, but can help change my mind about that. Now, interestingly, that episode was one of the very first drafts that Gene Roddenberry had written, and it would have been a pilot episode, but that one got kicked around so much. They didn't know what to do with it. Finally, it lands much, much later in production. And to me, that is one of those episodes that's not a very good episode, but has a terrific message. The message being that if you say that there's value in the words that you ascribe to, you have to act out and you have to be those values. As cheesy as it is that Kirk would read the preamble to the Constitution, well, he doesn't have to read it. That guy's got it committed, right? Um, he absolutely is expressing the emotion of those words. And that's a great thing in a kind of terrible episode. <laughs> but but I, don't think it's a terrible, I don't think it's an irredeemable or ir- indefensible episode. I think it just sort of went off the rails. It became a little cheesy, a little weird. But, um, but man, the message is fantastic to think about. Yeah, I think it's a pretty right. horrible episode, too. But I love... I mean, it's completely redeemed by Act 4. It's yeah. completely redeemed. I think what I said on the, on the show was it was as if a writer or an actor had come up and knocked on the screen and was just preaching. You know, to the people who were uh, to the people who were there, and I yeah. also said that it should be required viewing for anybody who's in any form of government whatsoever. Well, for the U.S., I guess you wouldn't really, you wouldn't make somebody Wherever. from somebody else watching. Wherever, it. why not? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was kind of a that was an amazing episode, although really not not great. Uh, the Cloudminders, I was just reminded of earlier today, and I don't know why, except I love the have or have nots thing, or the have and have nots thing, and you know, one yeah. person keeping the other one down just to keep themselves up. Both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. It, that episode reminds me so much of the movie Metropolis. Mm. 1927, Fritz Lang. Not just from the design element, but also the story of the have and the have-nots. I mean, it, it is a society completely fractured based on economics. Um, it, so it, it's a rarity for Star Trek to tell that story. They don't always tell that. Even the miners that we meet in yeah. episodes like Mud's Women and Devil in the Dark, they're still part of the big, happy, sort of overall Federation protected areas. But this is very different and very dark. Yeah. Yes. So good choice on that one. Now, sitting on the edge of forever. Um, yeah. So... Fantastic storytelling. Beautiful, romantic story. We struggled over it for the purposes of Mission Log. And it's not because we didn't appreciate the storytelling. It's not because we didn't appreciate the incredible acting. Um, It's shot beautifully. It just, it's an episode that has everything going for it. And yet, for some reason, it usually passes by going into any kind of top ten list for us. Because what we're looking for is morals, meanings, messages. We have a beautiful display of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy acting out id, ego, and superego. Or if we talk about the three persuasions, ethos, pathos, and logos, with Kirk having to make this horrible life-or-death decision. 
Locke be, uh, Spock being nothing but pure logic and Bones being nothing but pure emotion throughout the whole episode. So all of that stuff is beautiful and it's acted so incredibly well and your heart aches at the end of that show. And yet we kept asking ourselves, well, when we think about Star Trek as the big picture, what does that really mean? What does it really add up to other than some character exposition on who they are? But is there a moral meaning or a message there? Should you find yourself suddenly pushed back 300 years in the past and need to stop the Nazis from winning World War II, here's what you do. Now, I mean, that's not something that's necessarily relatable, but it is a horrible ethical decision that has to be made. Okay, liken that then, though, forgive me, it's been a very long time since I've seen that, liken that then to to a private little war, because if memory serves, Edith Keener. Keeler. Keeler, every time. Edith Keeler is going to basically push this sort of, I'm not push a peace agenda, but sort of lead a peace agenda, and so America's going to kind of be lulled, and that's how the Nazis take over more easily? Right. Okay, so liken that then to, I mean, is that message then sometimes peace doesn't work? Maybe. Which sounds like a very not Star Trek episode, yeah. and yet if we then go to a private little war, which I wanted to put on here for honorable mention, because it is so very much not the Star Trek message at all. Uh, we're going to be doing a panel Friday... In D. Kelly, which is right well, there. over there, but I was yeah. going to say it's Gene Roddenberry versus Star Trek. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. I mean, there, there always seems to be this, you know, we want our humans to be, you know, we want the Federation to have gotten better. We want people to have sort of gotten past a lot of the troubles. And there's not been a problem so far that they haven't been able to solve, with the exception, maybe, of sitting on the edge of forever. Yeah. And in a private little war, we get to this place where I honestly felt like, and I don't know, I never met him, I've never read anything about it, but I felt like I was hearing Gene Roddenberry beat the tar out of his typewriter while he was writing that story because... That's taking place the same time around Vietnam, and all we're doing is one person's propping up one side, one person's propping up another side. We're trying to keep that from falling, because whichever way it falls potentially could be bad. And so then when somebody somewhere decides, let's try to address this on Star Trek, the answer they came up with is, we are kind of in uh, trouble. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Insert whatever phrase you would like to for that. And yeah. it's like, it's honestly, I think, one of the least Star Trek messages of the original series, probably, and yet where he was always trying to, or seems anyway, to have always been trying to present either something that was really going to play with your mind or something that was really going to enlighten this, for him to come to the end of writing that and saying, yeah, I got nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's actually, it was, it was really not nearly as heartbreaking as City on the Edge of Forever, but for me personally, it was an incredibly heartbreaking episode because here's this idealist who's like, I don't know what we do next. Yeah. Which was kind of, uh, yeah. that's why I felt like it had to be there. Well, and it kind of comes back to that, what we talked about before with Private Little War. I mean, uh, uh, Taste of Armageddon. Hmm. War is not just bad. War is stupid. It's this terrible hole to dig yourself into. Yes. And that's what's happened with the Private Little War. It's this never-ending cycle. Okay, but this goes back to something I was going to ask you earlier. Do you agree that there are sometimes war is necessary? Well, I think in that case... Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Sitting on the edge forever says yes. Well, so does a private little because war. Because the, the good guys had to win. And I guess in a private little war, yeah, if it's that important that the Klingons don't have control over that planet, yeah. then it's something that the Federation has to decide if they go to war over. Which, of course, if you're taking it then to, no, we're not talking about the Federation, we're talking about other things in the real world. Yeah. Because there's no Federation. But unfortunately, in the, in, in the fantasy world of Star Trek, they get to say, um, 
boy, this is a terrible situation. See ya. I'm out of here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We never yeah. heard what happened there, did we? No, we did Does not. Does that go past Kittimer? Somebody's written a novel. I'm sorry. About what is Kittimer? Somewhere. What is Kittimer? That's right. Yeah, I forgot okay. about that. All right. So we will bring it to our final five then. Okay. Oh, let the, oh, typo. I hate that. Nobody, fortunately, this is not visual except for the people here in front of me. But for the podcast, we'll just say, let that be your last battlefield. Yeah, we usually change one or two words in that title. At anyway. least, yeah. at least, let that be your last backgammon game. Something like let that. Something, yeah. Uh, let that be your last battlefield is a strangely produced but incredibly thoughtful episode. And I'm going to steal a line from somebody who wrote in to us to say that uh, they, they appreciated our praise of that episode. You have to put yourself in the late 60s. Civil rights movement has been brewing along for so long and, and coming to a head. An episode like that needed to be made. And we can pick apart the decision to have half black, half white, half white, half black. We can pick apart all the stylistic choices for that episode. But as our listener pointed out that I will steal from them, he said, this is one of the first times that Star Trek wasn't necessarily just commenting, but dipped into the world of advocacy to say, this is the position that we are taking. And as a proxy for the rest of humanity, that we hope are on this journey with us toward the 23rd century, we hope that you see this too. We hope that you get it and you're on our side too. Because the racism on display here is absolutely insane. Your favorite moment in that episode, Beale, Kirk, and Spock sitting at the table, Mm -hmm. and Beale says, Beale tries to make his case, well, can't you see that this is the way it is? He's on, and, and Spock's reaction is, Hmm. <laughs> says it I'm all. Sorry, I forgot that. Absolutely yeah. says it all. But one of my my other favorite thing about this episode is not anything that has ever been on screen anyplace. And I always feel weird telling her story, but she's not here to do it, so I will. Um, a friend's mom, Virginia's got to be like in her 60s or 70s at yeah. this point, I guess. Yeah. I happened to have the good fortune of being at Macworld one year, and Rod was there as well. And most people, you know, didn't know you know who he was or whatever he wasn't wearing his name tag and his shirt and all that stuff but we're outside um we're outside of a restaurant and this woman has pulled uh pulled rod aside and i um eavesdropped because you know we're all sitting around together and what she said was she grew up in a very segregated i want to say alabama uh, something like yeah, Georgia, Alabama, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, somewhere, somewhere, somewhere deep south. Deep south. Yeah. Grew up in a very segregated um, south, and her parents regularly used uh, words that we would not use in polite company to describe other people. And she felt like there was always something uh, that wasn't right about it, but she also never felt like she could really put her finger on it or say what it was. And then she watched that episode of Star Trek the day that it came on, and that was a life-changing moment for her, which is amazing, because now I know her kid. Um, Great guy. Um, Really one of the most open, wonderful, accepting people that he can be. And it's because she watched an episode of Star Trek. And that's nuts. I mean, there's a lot of great TV on right now. Yeah. And recently, Boardwalk Empire is not going to do that for me, probably, you know? (laughs) God, I I hope not. There's a a lot of... You're a huge fan of The Love Boat. I can't think of the episode of The Love Boat. I know. Thank you. going to do that. Yeah. But it's amazing. Mm LidoDeckPodcast.com. New episode in 2017. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
<laughs> so that to me, I mean, honestly, I mean, I think it's an amazing. And there was also that, yes, that is, is it at the dinner table when they say that, when the, the half white, half black yeah. thing? Yeah, okay, yeah. it is. That hmm, is absolutely amazing to me because yeah. it just speaks volumes as well about how absolutely ridiculous all of that is. Indeed. The Enemy Within. Um, this is a personal favorite of mine, and it goes to another personal favorite of mine that a lot of people really don't like, which is Times Squared. Yes, because I'm doing that mission log thing that we do where we don't know that there's a sh- other series, even though there is. Um, what's interesting and now particularly troubling about The Enemy Within is I was talking it over today with some of the people from Women at Warp. And I was like, I want to talk about that episode. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, that's a really sort of a terrible message. And I was like, well, what's the terrible message? And she's like, well, uh, it's a message about rape culture and shaming the victim. And, I, and she reminded me of all of this stuff that I had completely forgotten about. Because what I remember from that episode is how much Kirk hates himself. What he hates about himself is on display. It's right there in front of him, and he can't deal with it. But eventually, he does have to deal with it. Now, what's interesting, because I'm going to go ahead and do the TNG thing as well. Do it. Same thing happens to Picard. Um, Interestingly, Kirk literally has to hug out his acceptance of the parts that he doesn't like with himself, and that's how he becomes one again. Picard, surprisingly, kills the part of himself that he doesn't like. Do what you have to. I guess so. Yeah. 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 But it's really interesting to me. That, I mean, it is, it is literally an examination. Oddly enough, the, the title is The Enemy Within, and he is, in fact, walking around the Enterprise the whole time. But it's interesting to me to, to act, I mean, it's very easy to ignore the parts of ourselves that we don't necessarily like. It's very easy to walk away from those things. And I love the fact that we had illustrated, no, here's why you need to go ahead and deal with this. And again, it was one of those things where if you don't, everybody dies. Same as in Times Squared. Right. Boom. Right. Yeah. Good. What about you? Way to bring it back. Thanks. Um, yeah. I, I, nothing to add there for Enemy Within, although um, I, I really liked hearing that perspective from Women at War. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is something really disturbing about that episode. Well, and I remember, yeah. that's what's weird to me about that episode in particular. I remember we hated all of those scenes when they were yeah. like, no, the captain didn't try anything with you. Let's bring you into the room with the captain and we'll yeah. talk this out. Terrifying. Are you kidding Terrifying. me? Terrifying. Yeah. Right. But um, oddly enough, that's not the... That's, yeah. I, I feel sort of ashamed, actually, that I forgot that part, but I did. All right. Well, let's move on. Um, I picked out who mourns for Adonais, Adonai, Adonai, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Adonis? Really? You say Adonis? You say Adonis. I say Adonais. Yeah. Let's call the whole thing off. Let's call the whole thing off. Um, I picked this episode because when Rod and I started talking about Star Trek and mission log and morals, meanings, messages, one of the key themes that we enjoyed discussing was this idea of blind faith and how... Sometimes Star Trek would push really, really strongly in one direction. Uh, again, not, not quite advocacy, but they would present this very strong message of humanism. And I think Who Mourns is one of the earlier episodes that really puts quite a fine point on that. Um, for the crew to find this abandoned Greek god who is an alien, of course, but he had been presenting himself as this Greek god who only has power if people stop to worship him. That's a disturbing idea anyway, but the message buried within there and, and told beautifully in, uh, in Kirk's speech with Lieutenant Palamas is to say that human beings are all we have. 
That is all that we get. We're part of this universe, and we don't need to give ourselves over to this big, scary, giant Greek god that would tell you what to do and how you could live. Now, that little thread of humanism, that little thread of rejecting this blind faith shows up in other Star Trek quite a bit. A lot of episodes do that. Now, to a lesser degree, a less successful degree, an episode like the Apple, um, I think that thread of, of thought is in there. Unfortunately, that episode ends with kind of another terrible message, which is to take away the thing that was actually working for the society and then leave them. Um, really sad. We never found out what happened on that planet later. Was that, uh, we call it freedom? We call it freedom, and, and you'll, you'll like, like it. it a lot. Yeah. Too bad we took away the thing that was protecting you with weather and feeding you and helping. You know, these people are no good on their own. You're free to take your starship. Oh, you don't have a star. Oh, Oh, sorry. Oh, you don't know how to grow things. Ooh, yeah. That's sort of too bad. Um, But but I think that Who Mourns sets up and, and sort of allows these other episodes to happen where we get to question big ideas like faith and belief and human self-determination, which is a big, big part of Star Trek. Yes. Yes. And funny enough, that leads directly into our next episode. Does it really? It does. Yeah. So we didn't feel like, even though, yes, we had said a uh, return to TOS, but we're not going to be doing a whole panel that's about the cartoon. Uh, <laughs> but I really, one of my favorite, favorite so far of all Star Trek episodes, and yes, it's cheesy. Oh, it's wonderfully cheesy, though. Is the Magics of Magus 2. Um, and the thing that I love about it is just how amazingly um, proactively subversive it is. <laughs> because there's a... So, I mean, what I always picture is mom and dad get to sleep in. It's Saturday morning. The kid goes out, turns on the television, gets a cereal, whatever. And the devil, the devil, comes on the stage. And he's like... I'm just a guy just like you, which I think is really a fascinating thing to have happen because then, you know, for some kid who's maybe thinking about a year or two later, it's like, okay, well, if the devil is just a guy or just an idea and it's been misunderstood, what's the rest of it? Right. Yeah. And that was happening while mom and dad were sleeping in the other room, (laughs) which is so incredible to me. And so... Actually, I said 16, right? There were two other honorable mention things that have to go into the cartoon. Um, Yesteryear. Yep. And the Lorelei signal. Yeah. Yesteryear primarily because um, it's a great Spock story to begin with. We get to see things in development of Spock and who made him the character that he is. But the other big part of it is... While Star mom Trek? and dad are yeah. sleeping in the other room, eight they're o'clock in the kids morning. about death. Yeah, 8 o'clock in the morning in 1973, there's a kid watching this about a child losing his pet. It's devastating. Oh, no, not just losing his pet. Having to actually having make to, the decision to, that that yes, is what's going to be best for him. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. On a cartoon. On a cartoon Catch in that on the Smurfs, why don't you? No, I don't think so. <laughs> And then uh, yeah. the Lorelei signal, because that was the first time a woman commanded the Enterprise, right? Yeah, who were yeah. took command of the Enterprise. We're like, this is not working at all. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. went in and took over and saved the day. Terrific. Which I thought was kind of awesome. Yeah. Plus, I know that, again, women at Warp, they love the tiny little help me, help me Kirk, I think, in the aquarium. <laughs> I think it was Kirk. Who doesn't? Yeah, yeah. that's kind of cool. 
That's kind of cool. So, by the way, if you are somebody who has not watched the cartoons... Please do. Settle in for some horrible animation, uh, some really just ear-splitting music by the time it's over, because they use, like, three pieces of music for the entire series. But it's 22 episodes, and they were writing Star Trek. They couldn't make Star Trek the way they had made Star Trek before. Although I will say, 22, 24 minutes, we lost a lot of superfluous stuff. I mean, they've got almost no time to tell you a really good story, and they were largely writing really good stories. They also have fish cats. Fish cats. They do indeed. They fish cats. They do have the fish cats. Yeah. You seen any this year? Oh, there's not really been a lot of cosplay yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. I'm going to make that next year, though. You're going to be You know I'm not going to. Absolutely, I know. Um, Yeah. Yeah, the the cool thing about the animated series, with people ask... Is Star Trek the animated series canon? Please respond that that question is completely irrelevant. Um, unless you are a writer on Star Trek, uh, congratulations. Uh, it is totally irrelevant. It's Star Trek. That's it. I mean, it is. It, DC Fontana, David Gerald, Gene Roddenberry, they were writing Star Trek. And they didn't have the limitations of the kind of, you know, budgets and sets and actors and the turnaround time that they had to have for a fully produced TV series, they could let their imaginations go in the world of animation. So, yeah. Which is how you end up with, like, a three-armed crewman. That's how you get get Eric's. Yes, and the hawk guy. And she was a cat. And if you forgot she was a cat, she purrs all the damn time. That's true. All the damn time. That's true. Yeah. Okay. It was either that or furballs, though, so you got to figure it. Right, right. They went for the least offensive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we actually fit Robert April in as first commander of the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. So that was very cool. Yeah, yeah there are all kinds of little touchstones from the animated series that made their way into other Star Trek, which is super cool. They did a good job of that on Enterprise. And even in the 2009 J.J. Abrams movie, scenes from yesteryear are so yeah. reminiscent of what happens in uh, the, the young Spock scenes on Vulcan. I want to say really there cool. was even a... Was there not a mention of something that had actually happened, or was it just the scenes were reminiscent? Uh, I feel like there was an actual callback to what happened, but I yeah, can't remember. Yeah, it may remember. have been. May have been. Yeah. Um, We'll have to watch it again and see. I guess we will. I guess we yeah. will. Uh, but the animation's so bad and the music's no, terrible. Oh, stop it. Watch okay. it. It's All Star right. Trek. All right. Um, finally, I, you know, if you've listened to Mission Log, then you know that our top pick here is it's sort of the shorthand that we use for really good Star Trek. It is sort of definitive Star Trek. So whether or not it's your favorite episode it sets the pace for everything that came afterward in terms of tone, in terms of style, and lucky enough for them, crazy that a show would start so good with its first season and only get better in its first season. Uh, So when you hear us say the Corbomite maneuver, that's what we're saying. We're not just talking about our love for Balok, although we love Balok. He's awesome. He's great. And yeah. he makes a mean mix of Tranya. He does. Which, by the way, Saturday. Saturday? Saturday. Saturday here. Tranya cocktail party. International here. Tranya Symposium. This yes. was actually this was actually pseudoscientific. Yeah. There was a whole room full of people who drank Tranya and they, you know, by the end of the third one were like, I think that one. <laughs> yeah. So and, and apparently somebody said, Okay, well that's officially Tranya. Now it's Tranya. So come on yeah. by and we'll tell you all about that, including yeah. the first person to drink in space. Yeah. Not not imaginary, real, real. Theoretically. 
Where was Symposium was at Tiki Oasis 2015. So it was the week after the Star Trek convention in 2015. That takes place Such in San Diego. Idea. And if you're a Tiki file, if you just love rum like we all do, uh, that's a really good place to go. This was, the, this was how John actually posed the thing to me. Do you want to come to Tiki Oasis? I was like, I'm not sure. He said, oh, come on. It'll be three days of drinking. Right after four days of drinking. Wow. <laughs> Sign me That's up. That's the best idea yeah, imaginable. Yeah. Why wouldn't we? So the guy who actually did that, Jonathan Knowles, uh, is the person who actually put together the panel uh, last year, and he's actually going to be coming and doing the Tronia Symposium here. Uh, that is not why we love... That's one of the reasons we love the One. Corbin just Maneuver. one reason. Why else yeah. do we love the Corbin Mike Maneuver? It's... It's the best. I mean, I really don't know how else to say it. I saw Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan opening night. I saw Star Trek V opening night. I actually saw a sneak preview of Star Trek IV. I've watched Next Gen. I know there's plenty more Star Trek. I've seen Generations. I know what happens to Kirk. And yet, when they are having that moment, I'm on the edge of my seat, wondering if if this standoff is going to end with with them all being destroyed. Um... Is Corbin Wright the one where it was like the different stages of grief as well? Yes. Oh, okay. yeah. it's, it's such an incredibly rich episode. So when we actually watch that, I'm, you know, thinking about what we're going to talk about on the show. And it seemed to me that it was actually an examination of the five stages of grief. And I thought, wow, some writer was really cool. Well, it turns out they're even cooler than I thought because that actually wasn't published until a couple of years later. And yet it feels to me like you get fear, denial, anger, acceptance, guilt off of five different characters in there. Right. Our acceptance is last. Actually, guilt. It doesn't end with guilt. Yeah, no, no, no. I hope not. No. <laughs> oh, man, I did it all wrong. That's, <laughs> and that's the end right there. Um, but then, of course, there's also the sort of the standard... Um, not standard, standard for Star Trek message of your enemy isn't necessarily your enemy. It's just something that you don't know or understand yet. It, it harkens back to Devil in the Dark in that case, yep. that, that understanding is more important than winning yep. the fight. And, um, you know, to, to take it full circle again, Star Trek Beyond uses an actual line from the Corbomite maneuver in that scene where the Enterprise is going into the nebula. And I absolutely love that, that they referred back to quintessential Star Trek, which is yeah. what the Corbomite maneuver is. And there are just there are so many little things i mean we actually had a a couple of discussions back and forth like okay well the maquette head it's a little too fake i don't know if i'd believe it Mm -hmm. i love that yeah i I thought it was fantastic because oh we should be afraid of this because it says we should be afraid and look at it it's scary and different it's a little blurry and yeah it turns out if you actually do study it closely you really probably shouldn't be afraid of it but you know your immediate reaction is of course to want to run and then of course the best part is at the very end when they're like woo glad we're out of there and Kirk's like alright turn it around need to go help that guy I'm sorry that guy that tried to kill us repeatedly yeah yes that guy yeah I'm still worried about the ensign that we left with them, though. Oh, well. <laughs> but there's a fantastic message to, uh, to end that episode, and it, it really drives home the best of the heart of Star Trek. Yeah. Um, so I think, do we have a time for a couple of questions? Are we, yeah? Okay. Um, if if anybody have, has any. Yeah, if they do. If not, if make nobody does, up. we're just going to start asking you questions. Yeah. Oh, by the way, here's something cool. So I mentioned that Corvamite Maneuver is our shorthand for the best of Star Trek. One of our listeners sent us 
the mission log glossary. He actually went through every episode. He pulled out the phrases that we use most commonly, and he built a glossary for us. And it will change over time. Uh, We'll add to it. We'll edit some things. But I will be posting that on our website. So as you listen to this, you'll be able to go to the site, look at the glossary, leave comments, leave suggestions. What's weird about that, four years is not a terribly long time, but four years is a decent amount of time. There are actually terms that we've stopped using. Wow. They were like part yeah. of our glossary and now they're not except they might come back except now I can't think of any of them except Well for... like we said it, I mean sexism got totally solved that's done it's true. no more sexism Congratulations. so never have to talk about that again Yeah 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 Phew Oh yeah. yeah okay What do we mean when we say you see Timmy Right. Yeah, we, yeah, right. We, we haven't really like said that. you see Timmy in a long time. Not in a very long time, no. Yeah. They haven't done those episodes in a while. Yeah. Yeah. So, we have a question? Is there yes. anyone? No? no? Yes. Oh, there's one oh, over there. Over there. Hey, guys. Big fan of the podcast. Hey, thank uh, you. Just want thank to say, you. Uh, uh, with, uh, speaking of the glossary, I guess... Uh, when you did what little, what are little girls made of? Oh, uh, you talk about Roger Corby, I think, on every episode. We did for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with, and by the way, I really like your Times Squared. But that's one of my favorites. Like, Thank it's you. Kind of a quirky, weird sci-fi yeah. uh, episode. But you guys talking about uh, like a man and his choices and all that stuff—really deep stuff that I hadn't really thought about before. But I guess my question would be: Would uh, what, what are little girls made of? Also, be like an honorary mention because it's really the, the first real like extension of life and obsession with technology and extending life that way, kind of thing. Probably should have been, huh? Probably should have been. It's yeah. an absolute favorite of mine. Oh, but, I know. Oh, yeah. It's a favorite but, of mine too. Absolutely. I mean, it, but it's weird because it sort of establishes that weird relationship that Star Trek has with technology where they don't always trust it. Life prolongation will get you every time. I mean, that actually, yeah. that seems to be a thing. I mean, there is a, and I guess maybe that's part of the whole humanism angle as well. I mean, yeah. when, when it's time, it's time, I suppose. And you'll have people who, I mean, yes, I mean, obviously medicine's going to get better and we're going to live longer, but um, yeah, every time they try to do things that sort of like, you know, would propel them further into the future. I mean, look at Miri, look at, look at um, what are little girls made of look at, there's a third one that I can't think of right now, but basically anytime you try to sneak in like an extra 10 to 20 years of life, you're done. And, and robots are evil. Robots are evil, though. Yeah, because we're, we're in next-gen now, and, and as we have pointed out, between data and lore, exactly 50% of all known androids are evil. Yes. Homicidal. Yeah. They really are. Homicidal, well, homicidal I guess. Well, anyway, yeah. right. They're yeah. killers. They are. Run. Terrible. Well, Terrible. Terrible. Half of them. Yeah. Do we have another question? Yeah. Yes, sir. Mr. Harveth, back there. Oh, there's, there's, oh, oh, there's oh, oh go, right go ahead, Norman. Sorry, we'll, we'll pass it. I can speak loudly. Hey, there you go. Yeah, you're up. Yeah. So when people are looking at your top ten list and your suggestions for the alternates, I think a lot of people were probably scratching their heads saying that's not really my top ten list because I think that sometimes the popular votes for those lists online flavor some people's opinions. How hard was it for you to distill your list down and not fall into the trap of, but it has to be on there. It has to be on the top ten because our audience may expect it to be in the top ten, and we can legitimize that by our analysis of those episodes. We cheat. I mean, we said we're going to do a top ten. We said we're going to do a top ten. I think we've mentioned seventeen or eighteen episodes so far, and then we actually went into next gen as well. So I mean, and and, and we we try to make very clear that it is not it's not definitive. It's not uh, encyclopedic. Um, It it in no way has any legal bearing, uh, contractual (laughs) obligation from anybody in the audience. 
audience. Um, yeah, cool it, it, took, it, it took us a good half hour of discussion. <laughs> At least, at least a half hour discussion. No, I mean, seriously, we, we know the things that we come back to because we know the topics that we like to talk about. Yeah. So really it was much more about the messages that we get excited about. So if those messages of combating blind faith, the message of understanding your enemy and maybe trying to come to the realization the enemy isn't an enemy or isn't evil. Like, these are important Star Trek messages that we hope that everybody gets. So at that point, it is really just sort of pointing those at the episodes that we like. Um, We've always said that, you know, Mission Log is a discussion. It's not a one-way thing. So when people write into us and say hey, did you think about this? I I love seeing that somebody has a different take on an episode than we did. Um, Now, it's a different thing they write in and say, you're so stupid, how could you miss that? Or, you're wrong, it's about this. Well, that's not really a discussion at that point. (laughs) Um, We have about a little less than 10 minutes. And, yep, oh, right there, yep. In your ancillary work with Next Gen, right, are you finding your trends are the same as the original series? As we move into different writers, different kind of um, approach, plus a lot more episodes. If I come back a year from now and I listen to this discussion on Next Gen, do you think you're going to fall into a trap of having the same kind of episodes end up at the top? Or do you think there's more material to look at? It's interesting that you say find it a trap because, I mean, I think these are sort of the ideals of what we're looking for anyway. So is it a trap or is it finding the same things again? I mean, I mentioned Times Squared earlier. I, you didn't like it. Yeah, right? not, yeah. not really. Most people yeah. are not a big fan of that episode, but that whatever for whatever reason, that episode spoke to me in ways that so many other episodes haven't. There are other episodes that will hit. Uh, what's weird is, I mean, and this is actually something we're going to be talking about Saturday. We're getting in, aren't we? We're getting in sort of an odd time now for Star Trek where you are actually having it handed off to someone else. So to be honest with you, I'm curious to see what my list would be like a year from now. I mean, we're in for some fantastic storytelling, some really wonderful character development and fantastic storytelling. How that's going to serve sort of the, the vision or how the vision changes as a result of that passing the torch will be interesting to watch. I, I think the core ideas are there no matter what. And, and I, man, I hate to get into the trap of saying, well, it's not Star Trek if, because that's a dangerous road to go down. But I think that seeing these little elements that pop up, you go, okay, well, that's a Star Trek story where they have a humanist message, or that's a Star Trek story where they try to show sort of the awe and wonder of discovery. Or that's another type of Star Trek. We, you know, so all, all of these elements can show up in different levels in different places. But like Ken's saying, as TV production got more modern, as you get into the late 80s and beyond, you start to tell those stories a little differently. The trap of sequels is that you always want the same but different. But if you can be the same but different and do it in a way that engages an audience, man, you are golden. So for the next generation to be able to tell stories where you've got deep, deep character analysis that we really didn't get out of the original crew until we got into the movies, and even then it's kind of condensed. You know, that's a pretty magic combination. Um, Do we have one more? Hi. Your list emphasizes the themes perhaps at the expense of the artistic uh, 
holding together of the episode. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and for that reason, I wanted to ask you why you didn't include the Cloudminders, which is has a very important theme about economic disparity um, and wasn't on any of your lists. And so well, that was it was my it was it was on the honorable mention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, no, it's okay. And honestly, the only reason it ended up on the honorable mention for me, as far as the list, is because I think we had made the list, and I was like, oh, but that's an important one. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, that's. Yeah. I know I've joked several times that we probably mentioned 20, 25 different episodes in our top ten list right now. But I right. mean, I mean, once you start digging, I mean, and and that's the thing, even for some people, again, to reference one that we shouldn't be talking about now, Times Squared is always going to be one of my favorite episodes. And I don't know anybody else who even remembers what that episode is most of the time. Well, okay, I, we'll talk after, and then I'll be like, I know one guy. <laughs> <clears throat> so, I mean, I mean, does that does that answer your question? I apologize. Oh, sure, yeah, but but you know, I think when you talk about the the artistry of an episode, there are some episodes that are beautiful. Sitting on the Edge of Forever is a beautifully yeah. told story, a beautifully acted story. Um, I will always defend that episode. But on a list like this, where we're saying what is quintessential to what Star Trek means... Artistically, the Omega Glory is a horrible episode, yeah. and yet they were trying to save... Somebody was trying to save the country from something yeah. at the end of that episode, seriously. And yeah, that's, why, that's why it's on this yeah. list for me, because they were just like, you're so doing it wrong, stop. <laughs> uh, or the animated series. You know, we could argue all day about, oh, the animation's bad, that music cue is overused, you know, but yeah. the stories are so good. Oh, some... Not all. Some of the stories are so good that they're, they're of real value, and it would be a shame to overlook them. Um, before we wrap it up, um, I'm looking back at this standing room only crowd, and I'm shocked, and I'm incredibly grateful. Yeah. So I, I want to thank every single one of you for coming here. Um, we... Man, I, that was not your applause line. That was my applause line. But, um, but thank you so much. We, we started a podcast four years ago to talk about things that we thought were cool. And this is the only time every year that we get to actually see you and talk to you in person. Please come by our table at the Roddenberry Island, the Roddenberry booth in the vendor's room, because it, this is much more meaningful than an email. Uh, so it, it means absolutely the world to us. And we hope you come back to the Chanya Symposium. Uh, we hope you come to our Gene Roddenberry versus Star Trek panel discussion. Tomorrow afternoon, match game right here. Match game right here, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, so, so much more going on this weekend. And, and we've got the uh, podcast summit on Sunday. Oh, and the podcast summit. So you can meet other podcasters here with us on Sunday. Uh, so that'll be fantastic. So really from the bottom of our hearts, yeah. th this is incredibly meaningful to us. So thank you so, so much. And uh, we've got four full more days to do this and chat with you in the vendor's room and then more here on stage. Thank you. Truly. Happily Ever After is waiting for you in the Chrysler Pacifica and Pacifica Plug-In Hybrid. With available all-wheel drive, Pacifica helps handle adverse conditions like magic. 
And with a plug-in hybrid, it can help your range anxiety disappear. Make your drive even more enchanted in the Chrysler Pacifica. And watch Disney's Disenchanted, now streaming only on Disney Plus, rated PG. Disney Plus subscription required. Must be 18 plus to subscribe. EPA estimated 520 mile total range with a fully charged battery. Actual mileage may vary.